covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Fantastic to have you with us as we are here for another week's worth of Milwaukee Brewers talk. It was really an eventful week for the Brewers and Brewers-related news. A number of things to uh, discuss coming up in uh, just a moment or so. As always, our top of the program housekeeping items to get to. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And also, if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that would be great. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, that would also be awesome. If you already do those things, thank you so much. If you don't want to do those things or don't listen to the podcast in that form, that's okay, too. I'm just glad that you happen to be uh, tuned in as we come your way uh, every week to talk about the Brewers. Our featured guest this week is going to be Justin Garcia. He is the uh, studio host on the Milwaukee Bucks radio network. Yes, we bring Justin back on to talk a little baseball, but also always enjoy having him on. Uh, his job and my job have some similarities, some differences as well. He's a studio host on the Bucks radio network. I come on after the uh, Brewers radio network uh, wraps up their run on WTMJ, but we do uh, post-game work and call-in shows and things like that, and always enjoy being able to kind of have a talk about the way we do things, and that's going to be coming up. Uh, he obviously is somebody who keeps up to date on what's going on uh, with the Brewers. He was the uh, the host of Brewers Extra Innings before I arrived. He was actually the one who trained me. I got to uh, Milwaukee after the season had actually already started, and he began the season as the host, and then uh, eventually it, uh, it went to me, and I have been in that spot uh, ever since then, hosting every Brewers Extra Innings except one. I missed my first ever show this past year uh, when uh, producer Greg Hill had his uh, had his wedding, and I missed the show to go to his wedding. First time I've ever uh, missed a show. We talked about that uh, during that time. But yeah, uh, Justin Garcia is going to join us, and uh, we got a few things to get to. Again, we'll kind of do some comparing of notes. Hopefully that's interesting uh, to you, kind of getting uh, an inside look at maybe some of the things that go on behind the scenes when it comes to the way that we go about doing, uh, doing our jobs. Uh, we'll talk about the collective bargaining agreement and the impact that could have if they don't get something worked out sooner than later and we'll look back at the season as well and get his thoughts on the way things end up going down both in the regular season and uh, also in the postseason so Justin's going to join us here in just a few moments so here's the the big news this week we'll go through the uh, the three items and then we'll certainly discuss each one. First one Corbin Burns National League Cy Young Award winner Craig Council is the runner-up for manager of the year once again. Uh, there was jokes on Twitter that he is becoming the Susan Lucci of the National League Manager of the Year award, Lucci being the uh, soap opera star that uh, never won uh, the whatever the award was, the, the big award that uh, she just came up. She finally won one, right? I think she finally uh, won one, but the joke, uh, the joke still sits. And then also, uh, reportedly, the Brewers making a move after they lose backup catcher Manny Pena, who arguably 
was the best free agent catcher on the market, and he was able to go get a nice deal with the Atlanta Braves. The Brewers have reportedly signed free agent catcher Pedro Severino to a one-year deal. So let's go through each of these items. We will start with Corbin Burns after his fantastic season where he had a 2.43 ERA, 234 strikeouts, and only 34 walks in 167 innings. Absolutely spectacular from Corbin Burns this past year, and the baseball writers did a good job of naming him the National League Cy Young Award winner. The only conversation, so he, it was a really, really close vote between him and Zach Wheeler of the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Max Scherzer came in third. Uh, Both Burns and Wheeler ended up getting the same amount of first place votes, 12. It was just uh, Burns got more second place votes than uh, Wheeler did, and that really ended up being the difference in him getting the award. The people who were voting for Zach Wheeler, and I understand this, the people who were voting for Zach Wheeler were voting for him largely because of the innings that he threw. Burns threw to a 2.43 ERA and 167 innings, while Wheeler threw to a 2.78 ERA in 213 and a third innings. Clearly, uh, Wheeler threw more innings than Burns. Clearly, Burns was more effective than Wheeler in the innings they threw, so then that created the conversation. I actually I thought it was a really... Uh, a lot of times social media and Twitter can kind of be a really bad place. We could all agree on that, right? Uh, but I thought the conversation that was taking place and the narrative about uh, you know performance versus innings pitched was a really interesting one. Just with the way baseball has gone, to me, I feel like Burns was more impactful in what he did, even though he did not throw as many innings. If I would have had a vote, if I was a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, I would have voted Burns. But at the same time, I understand where the Wheeler people are coming from. Like I say this all the time, I think we have a hard time in our society and our culture right now. And this isn't just sports related, this is everything related. I think we have a hard time looking at people who disagree with us and understanding how they got to the point uh, and the belief that they got to. You don't have to agree with it. In fact, you don't agree with it. But sometimes understanding the path that they took is an important thing. And I personally, I'm not trying to go too far off the rails here. Personally, and I think we have a little bit of a hard time with that sometimes uh, in our society. But that being said, uh, I thought it was a really interesting conversation for the most part on social media from people who more valued Wheeler's innings pitched with uh, a good level of success versus Burns less innings pitched with much more success in what uh, what he was able to do. I am going to be curious. You know, the baseball clearly, clearly, clearly wants starting pitchers to go deeper into games. In fact, one of the rules that had been floated out there that's being used uh, in, in a test program, and I'd be shocked if it's something that would be added, say, in this upcoming CBA, but one of the rules that has been discussed is go to a universal DH, but the DH is only active in the game as long as the starting pitcher. So when the starting pitcher is done, the DH at that point is absolved. The pitcher goes in and then at that point uh, you're using uh, pinch hitters and and things like that if you don't want a relief pitcher hitting for himself. I kind of like the idea of that because I've always liked the strategy of the National League game and that kind of keeps it in place. But the reason that that's been floated out there and it's an idea that's being tested is it would then incentivize uh, keeping starting 
starting pitchers in games for a longer amount of time, and that's something that baseball wants. Maybe that's something that eventually comes to round, around. In a perfect world for me, National League rules would just stay in place, but I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that we're moving towards a world with a universal DH. So if there's going to have to be a universal DH, I guess the next best thing would be that crazy rule where the DH is only in the game as long as the starting pitcher is in the game, and at that point, you would revert to a pitcher uh, being in the lineup, which uh, that would be interesting. That would certainly uh, be interesting. But uh, all that being said, Corbin Burns wins the National League Cy Young Award, and uh, certainly congratulations going out to him. Craig Council comes up second once again in the Manager of the Year Award. This is something that uh, he has had happened to him a whole lot. He has been the runner-up to the winner three times in 2018 and 2019, and also in 2021. Gabe Kapler wins it. I have a hard time arguing with this one. Like the year that uh, that Mike Schilt won it, the year that Brian Snitker won it, I thought Craig Council deserved it. Each of those two years, I have a hard time with arguing this one. Gabe Kapler did a fantastic job, and I wasn't a big Kapler guy. Uh, he was not somebody that I was a huge fan of, but you give credit where credit is deserved. And Gabe Kapler did a, a fantastic job this past year with the San Francisco Giants. So good on him for being able to uh, do what he did. Craig Council, you would think that at some point in time he's going to win one of these uh, Manager of the Year awards. You just have to wait and see on when it's going to happen. Uh, Mark Mathias this past week being outrighted to AAA Nashville, so that takes him off of the 40-man roster. That moved the 40-man roster at the moment to 35 players, but it is set to go to 36 players as catcher Pedro Severino is in an agreement on a one-year deal for just under $2 million. That was first reported by ESPN's Jeff Passan. The book on Severino is that he is not a good defensive catcher. Led the American League with 10 pass balls. Had a uh, this is from uh, Tom Hodricourt's story in the Journal Sentinel. Uh, he led the American League with ten pass balls this past year. He had a minus nine defensive runs saved, and he only threw out twenty two percent of would be base stealers. Uh, I'm not worried, and I'll tell you the to me, the Brewers have such a fantastic track record at turning catchers who look like they are defensive liabilities into really good defensive catchers, basically I'm going to assume that they are going to do that with every catcher that they put their hands on. Uh, they they are not bringing him in if they don't believe that he can be a very good defensive catcher. And that's so I, I have until until it doesn't happen I don't have any reason to believe that it won't happen, if that makes sense. They've got some of the best uh, catching instructors in all of baseball, and they have such an incredible track record when it comes to the ability to really transform catchers from a defensive uh, standpoint. Uh, He was the primary catcher for the Orioles in 2021, played in 113 games. Offensive numbers were okay, 248 308 on base percentage, that's not great. 11 home runs, 46 RBI, 690 OPS. Eh, let's see what he does with the Brewers. I guess that's uh, that's what I would say. There's a bunch of guys who are set to get raises. Uh, you know, when, when they first let Manny Pena get away, to me it felt like, okay, maybe some... 
maybe they're they're just about ready for a for a Mario Feliciano. May may not be there quite yet. Uh, Luke Maley's not in the organization right now either. Uh, he's somebody that uh, elected free agency when when he was outrighted, and uh, maybe he ends up back in the organization. Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? This move with Severino probably is likely to mean he'll look for other opportunities if he can possibly find one. I remember having him uh, on a Brewers Weekly after he got signed last year, and he talked about coming off a year where he got injured. He just wanted to have an opportunity to uh, go play every day. And uh, doing so at AAA with the Brewers, even if he didn't get a whole lot of big league time, was going to be something that he would uh, really look forward to because it would give him an opportunity to kind of get his uh, career back on on, on track. So uh, that's, that's what he did. And now I'm sure he's going to be looking for a major league opportunity. He certainly did not embarrass himself in the opportunities that he had uh, at, with the, in the big leagues this year when uh, there, when those doors did open up for him to be able to uh, to do that. But Pedro Severino, he is the uh, backup catcher, you would assume, for the Brewers uh, moving forward. Manny Pena with the Atlanta Braves. Pena's making more money with the Braves than Severino is uh, with the Brewers. And again, money matters. And uh, the Brewers have a bunch of players through arbitration, through just uh, escalations in contracts that are going to be making more money this upcoming season. So that, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense. Uh, if you feel like you can get good value with a Pedro Severino, you appreciate everything that Manny Pena did for you. But I certainly understand uh, the decision to allow him to walk. I was bummed. I, I won't lie to you. I was bummed. Uh, he was one of my... Uh, one of the guys I really enjoyed talking to and somebody who I thought was just a fantastic teammate, a great teammate. It always felt like he was somebody who put team and put teammates in front of himself. Yeah, at one point he was essentially the Brewers starting catcher. He was moved into like that backup catcher role, never complained, was always a big part of everything uh, that they did. So he was a really, really good Brewer, and I think he is going to be uh, remembered as such. He had been the longest tenured Brewer no longer. That is now uh, Brent Suter, who is the uh, longest tenured player inside of the organization. All right, uh, so that's kind of the news of the week from this past week. Our uh, featured conversation this week, a little bit different than normal. It's not completely 100% locked in on the Brewers, but uh, a Brewers feel to everything uh, that we uh, talk about. Justin Garcia, he is the uh, studio host for the Milwaukee Bucks Radio Network. We're very happy to uh, welcome on to the podcast uh, right now. Justin, thanks so much uh, for your time. How are you? I'm good. I was I was starting to wonder if I did anything wrong when I saw more Ashton Rotman and even Scott Warris appearances on the show. I've um, you've almost gotten invited each of the last two or three Sundays, but the Bucks have played Sunday oh, yeah. games. Uh, is either the last two or the last three Sundays? It feels like the whole fall. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to do this on a day that you have a Bucks game. <laughs> so I almost did actually. I almost did either. I think two Sundays ago. I was like, ah, you know what? I wonder if he'd be willing to do it late at night. And you probably would have, but I, I, I decided to stay away from that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I already uh, have committed to doing the Locked On Bucks podcast most Sundays as well. So. Added to the list. I'm already doing some that uh, in a pinch, I'm always available on Sunday nights. Just a rotating group of cast and crew there on uh, on Lockdown Bucks, it seems, as far as uh, who is uh, on with that on a, on an everyday basis. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting where it's become like almost every other job we've had in radio where you start doing it occasionally and then you slowly realize, oh, wait, this is kind of a regular thing where – uh, I've had the chance to do it with Kane quite a few weeks for the last uh, year and a half or so. 
um, and especially during the run through the finals. And I actually caught up with David Locke, who started the entire network at mm. the most recent Bucks and Jazz game, where you had the weird instance of I'm on the air doing the network post game, and you can feel the the presence of somebody behind you, and thinking like, what is this? And then my immediate thought is, what did I screw up that I know somebody's behind me, and just by process of elimination, there was four of us in the booth, and I've watched two of them leave. I know it's David Locke that's standing behind me. So did I screw something up? Did I say something that he's waiting to talk to me about? And no, it, he couldn't have been nicer. It was just, hey, I've heard you do the Locked on Bucks show with Kane quite a few times. You do a good job. Just wanted to say hi. Years and years. He was at one point the voice of the Sonics, right? Sonics, Okay. Yeah. So years and years ago, we're talking early 2000s, way before, probably, probably like, 06, 07, I applied to be the voice of the WNBA team in Seattle. I was oh, my favorite team. That is that the storm? The storm, yeah. Storm, okay. Uh, I was not qualified at that time <laughs> for that job. That did not stop me from applying for it uh, as a fresh kid out of college. Yeah, that would have been that would probably been within a few months of me graduating from college. <laughs> I'm sitting there applying for a WNBA play-by-play job. And at the time, he was the voice of the Sonics. Yeah. And he was the one, I don't know, he was either doing the hiring or he was doing the screening, whatever it might be. I still remember he took so much time listening to my demo and emailed me back thoughts on what he heard when he told me I wasn't getting the job. And you know, in this industry, that does yeah. not happen. So that's, <laughs> I, I've never spoken with the man since then, but he's always had a, uh, a special place in my heart because he, uh, he told, he gave a, a, you know, a demo review to a kid who had no business applying for a WNBA job. Well, I mean, yeah, and I've heard similar stories from Kane and others that work on the network that we get quite a bit of correspondence from him, and he listens to this, which, I mean, you and I working around a team every single game, you know how much of a time drain that is. So for him to find the time for that as well, I mean, as, as we've probably both experienced and witnessed most of the time with air checks or anything like that, where it's, hey, can you help me out with this? And if I send you that... Most of the time, people will tell you yes, but they just directly forward it to someone else and never even listen. And I think the, the lesson for all of us, and especially young people hoping to get into the industry to learn from your experience of applying for that job is all they can do is say no. So for anything, not just broadcasting, if you don't think you're qualified, so what? Let them decide that until you know. Yeah, I would because that, that, that was great for me at the time. That made me a better broadcaster at the time and yeah it was definitely something that was i can look back at i should i should find that email see if i've i haven't deleted an email in like 20 years so i need to i keep buying more space in my email account so i never have to delete an email i have just like hundreds of thousands of emails sitting in my email account i was gonna say i would be terrified to see your inbox if it's anything like when we've exchanged text messages and see screenshots of your unread text messages Right now on my phone, it says I have 720 unread text messages and 26,368 unread emails. So my question would be, what was the number when you just decided, 
screw it. They're, I'm just letting them pile up. It was never a conscious decision. It's just like, I'm really busy. And if a message comes in that I don't have interest in reading, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I just get, uh, I just get too much anxiety with my mailbox and, and with text, I guess not so much. Like I, is, if it ever gets above like 20 unread text messages, I know it's usually from one group of friends I went to college with that'll just fire off texts one after another. So I assume it's just from them, but with emails, especially on my phone, not so much the work ones, but on my personal account, when I see that the red unread start to bubble up and get to 10, 12, 15, then you just get this anxiety of, all right, I got to see what these are and clear them out. Not me. 700 texts. My God. So that's what's more impressive, the 700 texts or the 26,000 unread emails? Uh, I think it's a 700 text because I, uh, well, I don't know, because that's, a, I'm assuming that's an email account you use very regularly. Because I have another older one I started in college where, like, every two months or so, I'll just go through and have to delete like 2,000 emails. It's the combination of three email accounts, all of which I do use regularly. <laughs> I just can't. All right. Um, let's talk about the Brewers a little bit. You, um, you experienced the Brewers in a way this year. For people who don't know, you hosted Brewers Externings back in the day. Before I ever stepped foot in the city of Milwaukee, you were the guy who trained me on, on BEI <laughs> back in the day. Um, you have kind of, other than hosting shows, obviously, where you talk about it, you've kind of been removed from the covering the team on any type of regular basis. What, what, how different is that for you when you're watching, especially a season like this past season, where it was so much fun during the regular season, but then it ended in a way that was so disappointing? Yeah, and I guess it, it would be kind of the inverse of going from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love and going – from me to you for Brewers X Trading where, where you've taken it. Um, but no, so I've struggled with it the last couple of years because um, I would still say I, I've become more and more of a hockey guy in the last couple of years, but baseball all the way back to my childhood, baseball and basketball were my two favorite sports. And those were the sports that I followed the most closely. And those were where I had teams I was really invested in. But, you know, as, as you know, with the Brewers, a gig too, when that's what you're doing and it's that same team every single day and throughout the season, there's just not a lot of bandwidth to let other things in. And, you know, you look at this last year, the Bucks playoff run, they won the championship on July 20th. So up until August, that's where all my time and attention went that I, I couldn't really get into the Brewers until we got into August uh, the year prior. Bucks and Brewers, MLB and NBA were playing at the same time. So that pretty much eliminated uh, that season. So the last couple of years, it's been really difficult just to follow what's going on. Like you can pick the Brewers or, or a couple of other teams I do have a rooting interest in and I can casually follow them. But I struggle with it because, you know, you probably experience similar things when you start to see takes and opinions on the team that you're working for or covering and you read these from afar and know like this is nowhere near close to right like i've been around them and i've seen this and i've heard them say this like this this person is just way off base with this 
I don't want to be that person with the Brewers or with baseball. So I get a little hesitant to like really dive in when I know on a good week, I can watch maybe one or two games. But other than that, there's basketball games and it's not just the bucks. It's the opponent and trying to watch their most recent and next games and catching up on all that, that it's taken away from it. But it was nice this last year where, you know, the bucks were done. We knew we were going back to a normal schedule and it gave more, more time ish to really get back into baseball. And I went to one of the uh, NLDS games with our teammate, Ashton Rotman, followed the playoffs pretty closely all the way up until the World Series that I felt like last year, the two months in August and September were the most I've watched baseball in maybe the last three or four years. It's, um, you said a lot there. First off, I want to, it's interesting you talk about like the bad takes. I, I'm not going to like, name names or anything that's not what i'm here to <laughs> no, do. Please do no no um i maybe you'll disagree with this as a guy who's who's obviously very tight with an nba team i think when we're talking like four major sports football baseball basketball hockey i think baseball is the sport that maybe is toughest at times to completely grasp your hands around if you're not in it on an everyday basis and I do hear and see things and read things inside of our market that when I do, I feel like, okay, they just they just don't understand the game of baseball. They just don't understand what's going on here. What if we do a trade, a quid pro quo here, where I'll name somebody in basketball and then you can name somebody in baseball? Uh, you know what it was for me, too, where I kind of realized, oh, man, you know what? I have... I have become everything I detested and I am that casual fan that I am just clueless now when the last couple of years um, analytics in basketball and, and how that can be pretty daunting if, you know, trying to explain to somebody even basic stuff of rebounding percentage and look at this instead of total rebounds and here's why you do it and here's what effective field goal percentage is. And I can hear the audience rolling their eyes right now. But for me, when I saw some of the advanced stats, in baseball, where you're thinking all of a sudden, I have no idea what exit velocity or, or launch angle in any of this is, and I don't know what is supposed to be good here. I don't know what the context is, so I think I'm just out. What's challenging for me is most fans want the baseball card numbers. Average, home runs, RBIs, win-loss, ERA, saves. That's, that's what they want. And I need to talk in that language for them to understand because it's it's not my place to like tell them but at the same time that's not what guys are being evaluated we talked a lot about the fact that the brewers put ops up on the board now as yeah. opposed to batting average so i try to i don't want to be this person that the average fan listening can't even understand what i'm saying because i'm using all these terms that are are really esoteric in nature but at the same time it's especially with the brewers it's such a big part of how players are evaluated and i i I honestly don't know if i do a good job at it or not but it is something that at very least i'm very i'm keenly aware of trying to you know straddle between the, the the baseball card numbers and the advanced numbers and how i use them it, it's honestly the toughest part of the the job on the radio broadcast side for me because um, I'm a pretty analytical person and I'm into advanced stats and I, I really 
done as much as I can to learn everything in those avenues the last couple of years. And um, that's not what a radio audience wants, where half the time, I know initially for me too, part of it was just kind of, I guess you'd say it's an ego thing where you're trying to let people know, look, I know what I'm talking about and here's this and here's why this makes sense. But a radio audience doesn't care what, you know, a rebounding rate is. And here's what their effective field goal percent, their true shooting percentage was 57%. And they've only had that three times this season. Like, I don't care what that is. Just tell me they were good. And they've only done that two other times and that this guy scored that many points. So it's kind of the same discussion where you can't get too cute because the audience still wants to know the baseball card and the basketball card stats of how many points did he score? How many rebounds did he have? How many three pointers did they make? That's what's most important to me. And did they have a triple double? So if you can figure out a way to weave in a little tidbit is what I try to do of, Hey, they got 60 rebounds and this was actually their highest rebounding rate all season. That's all you need to know. I don't need to get lost in the minutia and tell you, at 40% and you know no team's ever done this that that's one of the things that you kind of learn over time where you think the information you're providing is valuable and then you listen to it and you think kind of like the baseball thing I just said I have no idea what's good or bad for launch angle right now but if I'm listening to this and I'm spouting off the same type of stats for basketball and I have no idea I just tuned out because I have no idea what you're saying here so you always want to try and give as much information as possible. But you also also have to realize, I wouldn't even say half, I'd say three quarters of the audience, they don't know what that means. So it has no relevancy to them. Yeah, and yeah, go back to OPS because OPS is about as basic and simple of an advanced statistic if one exists. It really isn't. It's really just two statistics being added together. But that's the I can I can sell why that's important. I can say to some I, I can say on the radio, look, teams evaluate hitters based off two things their ability to get on base and their ability to have damage when they're getting on base or getting extra bases so the greatest way to explain that is ops where half of that is coming from how often you get on base and the other half of it is coming from when you do get on base do you get more than a single base out of it so i can at least get some people to get in on that and kind of understand the basic understanding of 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 what's going on but then the second part of it is what's good OPS you know we all know that a 300 batting average is good we all know that 30 home runs is good we all know that 100 RBIs is good all of a sudden well you know what he he's a second baseman and he's got an 850 OPS that's pretty good he's a third baseman and he's got a 980 OPS that's you know then all of a sudden not only do you have to be understanding of the number you also have to kind of be understanding of the actual numeric value of the number and whether or not it's good Yeah, I've always, um, the last two years especially, I have operated under the guise of if I'm going to reference it, I need to be able to explain it. And if I'm going to explain it, it's got to be brief. That Mm -hmm. if it becomes the, well, you see when this happens and if he takes two dribbles and then this also accounts, takes this into account, it's already too much and it's already going over the audience's head. I mean, I've referenced rebounding rate. That's really all I typically use a lot of the time for advanced numbers on the radio because I think that's the easiest to explain. What's the percentage of rebounds available that they got? Everybody can grasp that. But some of the other statistics, it's great for reading. And if you're reading an article or if you're looking at graphs and charts to see, oh, yeah, this is where this ranks. But radio is not a visual component where if I'm just reading statistics to you, 
you're totally lost. And then we're back at square one. So that to me has been a, a, an adjustment. It was even more so last year when you referenced that courtside live show, we were doing that. And so that would be two hours before tip off of the game. And that was a visual component. That was a TV show essentially. So I would work with a crew with the bucks to put together that show. And we would go over some of those and, I think because of those suggestions, the Bucks use some of that stuff on their scoreboard too of here's effective field goal percentage and some advanced stats because we used it a lot on that show. But then you have to get out of that mindset of, okay, now I'm going to a radio show where I can't show you. Here's a chart that shows here's what his shooting percentage was in this category year over year. And you can read it and digest it. If I tell you Giannis shot 36% there last year, this year it's 48 Two years ago, it was, you know, 33 and then just run through numbers. We're already boring you to death. So that was extra difficult last year. But I think it just helped you learn what do I have to stay away from when I do this in radio? Yeah, that's it's I don't know if people listening got to get a kick out of this discussion, but it certainly is something I think people like you and me really put a lot of consideration into when we're uh, when we're doing things. Uh, There's obviously one of the big narratives this past season was. The Brewers got cold at the end of the regular season, and they stayed cold. I don't, uh, it got brought back up on my Twitter this past week. Like somebody found one of my tweets where I said, you know, just because they're cold at the end of the season doesn't mean they're going to be. And you know, got the uh, I don't know if they sent it to freezing, you know, the cold freezing freeze, cold freeze, takes. Cold yeah. But I mean, it was the same idea of it. I think I got the Michael uh, Scott gif at one point of you know. Like, um, well, so, I, look, I've I've been there even more so than you probably two games into the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019. So I don't think anything will top that when the Bucks were granted they've won a title since, but two games away from the finals. And we all thought based off all of those advanced numbers and watching them beat the Raptors by 20. This is a foregone conclusion. I know I popped up on freezing cold takes a couple of times after that. Do but do you? Do you put like I still don't like I still think I was right. I think it's a complete you know the the numbers say it's a total crapshoot. Yeah, you can go cold and stay cold, but you have almost the exact same chance of going cold and then getting hot at the plate once the postseason actually starts. There's zero correlation between the two. As you view what happened to the Brewers at the end of the season, do you see a correlation between the way the regular season ended and the way the postseason went down? I don't. Um it's, it's interesting because I, I feel like baseball is kind of easier to, to explain in that sense, where or, or at least it's easier, you can quantify it more, where you can talk about, you still have to hit the baseball, right? And 30% of the time you do. So 75, 70% of the time you're failing and you just don't want that to occur in the playoffs and you don't want it to be below or higher than that 70% rate that, you know, you have those ups and downs throughout the season. I think where I got into, I guess I would say trouble and, and where we all were kind of thrown off is if you just look at the numbers and you look at variances and say, well, statistically, we have an 82 game sample size to look at. Here's what this team did throughout the regular season and here's how their offense performed and here's what they did defensively. And everyone will point to, yeah, but those 82 games don't really count because it's totally different in the playoffs. I don't know how you would explain that in baseball because it still comes down to hitting the baseball. Yes, I know it still comes down to scoring the basketball, but it does change significantly in the playoffs just with 
officiating and, and sure you could say the same in baseball or, or balls and strikes called differently, you would know better than I do. But the game is officiated differently. And the one thing you can't really quantify is the old adage of there are 82 players and there are 16 players. In other words, guys, you can play in the regular season. And then guys, once you get to the playoffs, you see things happen where, yeah, they shut 40% in the regular season, but we can figure out how to scheme against them in the playoffs. And now they become unplayable, which is a very popular phrase and inaccurate one that gets thrown around a lot in basketball circles. Uh, but you, you do notice differences in the regular season to the playoffs in basketball, where I wouldn't say it's a totally different game, but there are some pretty big differences in baseball. I'm sure there are, but it still comes down to every team has cold spells. And I think those occur more than a team just going cold, shooting the basketball for seven games. Like it's more frequent and more common for you to just not hit a baseball for two to four to five, six, seven games. than it would be to say, okay, this guy that scored 30 points a game during the regular season, he's going to shoot 25% from the field over the next six games. Like that is very rare. I would argue the one change you have in the postseason and is connected is the pitching is better. You're going to those high leverage relievers more often. You're using them more. You have more off days, so you can use them a lot more. Some good starters are moving to the bullpen. That pushes some of the back guys of the bullpen out. Uh, so that that would to me that's the change the, that the you you know that's why I was worried about Aviseo Garcia in the postseason this year because Garcia is a mistake hitter and over 162 games a mistake hitter is going to see a whole lot of mistakes and they can have a whole lot of success Garcia had a great season this is not me trying to put him down but if you're a mistake hitter and there's a lot of mistake hitters in baseball I'm not just uh, he's not the only one if you're a mistake hitter you're not going to see that many if any mistakes when you get into the postseason. Well, let me ask you something, too, because we've seen this discussion quite a bit in basketball, and maybe it was Bucks fans that were bringing it up quite a bit two years ago and, and three years ago. Um, but we've seen it with a lot of teams, and you think about the Utah Jazz last year. These teams that just run roughshod through the regular season, and then you get to the playoffs, and it's almost a completely different game. And what you did in the regular season no longer matters. And you can see teams win 65 games in basketball, close to 70 wins in a regular season. And they're bounced early in the playoffs. A lot of times these teams are losing in the second round and it's not football where it's just, well, you run into a bad matchup. I mean, that can play into it, but it's just a different game that we've seen more and more of this discussion of European models and FIBA models where you have some type of, I guess, championship, but a regular season honor for teams that go through the regular season, that there's still some value to that because I think it's changed with some of the rule changes and points of emphasis in basketball this year. But for the last couple of years, I think the issue our sport was running into was you're de-emphasizing the majority of your product that to go from October through April for a regular season, what you've kind of trained your audience to know is don't pay too much attention to this. Just watch the marquee games because whatever happens here, the team that looks the best more often than not, they're not the team that's winning the championship. It's the teams that are resting the teams that have superstars and not the teams that are winning these regular season games. So we saw quite a bit of movement for there's got to be some way to recognize a team that wins the regular season, if you will. It's cooled down a little this year because I think it's been 
one of the best starts to a regular season I can remember in terms of how entertaining the product has been. But you look at, you know, what the Brewers did last year and seeing other teams that have gone through that where it's the nice part about the sport when you see a wild card team win a championship and you can point to this is exactly what we want. But, you know, expanding the playoffs or doing something else, especially in baseball, where it's 162 games that you're going through. And then to get to the end of the season and say you were the best team for the duration of, you know, all the way up until the last two weeks of the season. And then this team won the wild card, came in and beat you and and they won the championship and you get nothing. That's been uh, that's been the tough sell, I think. And that's where we've seen in basketball, especially a lot of discussion for what can we do to recognize the regular season? I don't know if it's anything that's gone on in baseball or other sports. It seems like football is the only one that has the perfect mix where the regular season is short enough and it does have enough importance on the playoffs as well. Maybe I am too close to baseball and maybe the average baseball fan would completely disagree with what I'm about to say, but I do think winning your division in baseball matters. Being able to put up uh, a pennant matters that you know the that that that's important uh i don't think anybody in the nba cares that somebody won the regular season division title i think mean, well it, do you disagree now, okay. because when i when i go to fiserv forum i do see the banners for central division champions for each of the last three years but no there's no importance on it and i i mean even the fact of the seating change they made what maybe 10 years or more ago where um it, it used to be the top three, the division winners were the top three seeds. And now it's just, yeah, it's, it's record only that division. The only importance that division has is just travel. And those are the teams you play the most. So let's make a division. So you don't have to you know, play the Portland trailblazers four times this season. It's just Cleveland. Yeah. Um, before I get you out of here, the look, the biggest thing here is the collective bargaining agreement. Rob Manfred this past week basically said they're they're not going to have a deal done by December 2nd. They're still trying to make the decision of whether or not they're technically going to lock out the players. It sounds like they're going to. Uh, he refer, re, uh, referred to 94 where they didn't and it did not go well. So it seems like a lockout is probably two weeks from happening. It's going to end a run of labor peace, a 20 plus, what, I think 26 years, if I had that right, uh, run of labor peace. But nobody's going to care about that unless stuff starts getting missed and specifically regular season games. Um, I don't, I feel different on this every day. One day I feel really optimistic. The next day I feel really pessimistic. I'm, I'm concerned about any time players and owners have to get together on something, but it just, it, it feels like nothing is going to happen until this current CBA at least expires. Yeah, I, um, I remember paying quite a bit of attention to that. And it's funny you bring it up. I mean, it's it's been in the news a lot recently. But um, I remember talking about it with a couple of people too, you and, you know, our friend Ashton and a few others years ago of we all knew this was looming, right? And then for me, it was just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And then, you know, as I said, I watched quite a bit of baseball from probably mid-August throughout the end of the season And then you just all of a sudden get hit with the news of, oh, yeah, that's this offseason where that is supposed to happen. I never experienced that in the NBA because I started with the Bucs 
four years after that NBA lockout was that basically cost them half of their season where they played 60 or 66 games in uh, 2011 or 2012. Um, I remember talking about it quite a bit on our shows. I mean, obviously the football one, the NFL one in 2011, I think the same year was what took most of the attention in that looming towards potential work stoppage. Um, I guess maybe I'm just naive. I keep thinking whenever these pop up that we tend to be pessimistic in, I think most of the coverage of these stories that you see, well, there's going to be a lockout. There's going to be a work stoppage and don't plan on a full season that we heard that with the NFL a decade ago, we did see not a full season, but we did see part of that happen in the NBA. And we all, most of us, I would think know what happened to the NHL in that regard. I just kind of feel like, We've all said this and we all expect this is going to happen. Maybe I'm naive here. I don't think so. I think there's going to be some type of peace that's brokered and there's not going to be uh, any type of, you know, stoppage where we're, we're losing out on games or any of that. I still feel like this is going to be resolved and solved before then. Maybe it's just my naivete and that I've gotten back into baseball and I don't want to lose that in the spring and summer, but I feel like cooler heads will prevail. And we've seen that, you know, work piece between the union and the players association in the other sports recently. And, you know, again, to go back to the NHL, you keep pointing to, okay, other leagues have to have learned from this and how much of a step back, they took to lose a full year and how you're out of sight, out of mind there that you, there has to be some takeaways from this, right? Yeah. But it's the same group of people that last year could have started their season a month and a half before the NBA and NHL and been the only thing that people watched. And I think we can retroactively look back and say that, you know, based off the way things went down, they could have played more than 60 games last year. And, they just they were so they couldn't agree on anything they couldn't agree on the money they couldn't just they it's i don't know i I hope you're right i just get worried when when these two sides get together because it doesn't seem like they have a spirit of peacemaking um i think some other people need to be involved in this who maybe want to work together that's what we always hear we when when we hear from like the the OG baseball writers who were around for all the previous labor issues, it was always the people negotiating on each side were tough. They wanted what they want. They were not afraid of a work stoppage, but they did. It wasn't about beating the other side. It was about getting what was best for them. And so often it feels like now there it's so much about trying to win over the other side. And that creates a really tough environment. Yeah. I mean, it's just like trades where, you see it works initially when you win the trade, but then you all of a sudden become the general manager or the team president that nobody's fielding that call anymore because, you know, like Daryl Morey in, in my sport in basketball that, oh, wow, look at what he did early on and how he was able to win on the margins. But then all of a sudden you become the GM that is just out to fleece other GMs and you're looking to win the trade you're in when you know, the the definition of a trade is both parties are winning here. So it's kind of the same with what with what we're we're saying here that there has to be this agreement between both sides. I, I think what would make me a little nervous is anytime Rob Manfred, anyone from either party, anytime you're referencing 1994, that's the uh, geez, 
we're this is really what we're bringing up here I don't know about you. I still hear every once in a while from somebody who says, I really haven't watched baseball since 94. Like, that is a strike that still sticks with people more than. Like, nobody's upset that the NFL lost the Hall of Fame game, you know, 10 years ago. Um, there, there's, there are clearly people who are upset about what happened in hockey, but hockey has not been the same as a sport since then. Uh, baseball eventually recovered, recovered largely because of. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, and now we can look back on that and what it actually was. But there are still some people out there that 94 is the moment that they stopped watching the game. Yeah, uh, uh, hockey wasn't the same before that. Even it was already starting to go through those changes and lose a lot of its uh, fringe fans. Hockey's always going to have its traditional fans that are going to stick with it throughout. It's just how do we get younger fans and, and get those people that are watching basketball and baseball? How do we get them to watch our sport? And it's never been the same in that regard. I, I think, you know, I used to hear it quite a bit when I would do Brewers extra innings. Um, but I think part of the reason is, you know, I still remember quite a bit from that 94 season. I think we're the same age. I was 12 years old. I was 12, yep. And yeah, and that's like, I, I was probably... My peak of baseball interest and really, really starting to get into it was probably around the time I was like seven to 12. And that's when I was really heavily invested in baseball and collecting baseball cards. And I loved Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Bonds. And and um, it was a really good year in 94. And there was a lot of really, really interesting subplots and storylines. I mean, everybody knows about the Expos and what was happening there. That was the start of the Yankees starting to build something as well. And you still had a lot of Hall of Fame guys that were playing that. I think that's where most of that um, vitriol for it to this day comes from is not only did you cost us a World Series, which also was extremely important, not that it's not now, but it was much more prevalent and important back in 94 and in the early 2000s than it is now. And you lost a World Series and you lost the conclusion to a really good year, a potential 400 season for Tony Gwynn and everything else that was going on there. If the Expos win that World Series, do they move to Washington? Um, probably. but I would say probably knowing what we've seen yeah. from ownership and everything else, but you know, who knows? But a World Series championship, does that create a different type of fervor in Montreal, where maybe they're able to get a stadium deal done or something. Maybe. Like, maybe. Probably not. They're probably still maybe, heading to Maybe, but I mean, but probably they just become the Florida Marlins 10 years earlier, you know? Yeah. Or but not 10 years, but five years earlier. And now they're talking about doing a timeshare with Tampa Bay with the race, <laughs> splitting half the season in Tampa Bay and half the season in Montreal, which, by the way, so players still have to approve that. That cannot happen without approval from the Players Association. Why, as a player, I, would you ever approve I don't see that? any way. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, I just look back at what happened with the Raptors last year. And uh, everybody that I've, I've had conversations with, with the team, they hated it. Uh, the broadcasters didn't travel and they didn't have to relocate. But you think about people that worked in the organization that, you know, you, 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 know, you may be just a mid-level employee and now your job is all of a sudden in Tampa but you live in Toronto and it's, Hey, we need you here. Now I have to have dual residence and I'm going to have to pay for an apartment here. The players hated it because, you know, they're away from their families and they have to find a second place to live, which is a lot that. It's a different country. 
Yeah. And we take it for granted and we think, well, these guys are rich that they can just find any place they want to live in. It's still a headache to have to figure out, okay, where am I going to live? What if I have kids? What are they going to do? What about, you know, my significant other? What if we have pets and all this stuff that goes into it? It was a disaster. Nobody with the Raptors was thrilled, obviously, with what happened last year. And you will not find a person that spoke highly of that experience to go from Toronto to Tampa Bay and play your games there that now when they got to go back to Toronto this year, they're over the moon that it gets, you know, to be back to normal for them. So I I'm with you where I don't see the players association saying, yeah, we're cool with this. Even if you say, Hey, we'll set you up here. We'll give you an additional stipend that this will go towards housing or whatever. There is no way the players association is signing off on this. No, I don't think so either. Uh, if you want to move the team out of Tampa and put them there full time, fine. Uh, get a new stadium built there. Like whichever city is the first to give you a new stadium wins the team, fine. But the 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 dual city thing, and they even said that they would alternate years on where they would have the playoffs. So if you start the season in Tampa and then go to Montreal, one year you would stay in Montreal for the playoffs. The next year you would go. You would then go back to Tampa after having spent the last three. It's it's just stupid. Yeah, I um, I just – how does it make sense? You it know? doesn't. It doesn't. They're trying to get – I don't know. It just doesn't, and I don't think it's going to happen. But I could be wrong because baseball owners do wacky things. Uh, Justin, appreciate Want to plug everything you've got going. Uh, obviously, Bucks Radio Network. Uh, you've got the uh, – you've got uh, Bucks Talk afterwards as well on WTMJ and 94.5 ESPN. You've got multiple podcasts you are involved with as well. So you've just got – uh, lots of stuff going. I do. Uh, you can uh, catch me a couple of times a week on the Locked On Bucks podcast. I do have, uh, well, I have the NBA M as well, which is, um, I don't know why, but a, a seven days a week podcast I signed up for to see. We'll see how this goes. It's about 15 minutes. It, it drops every morning. It recaps what happened the night before in the league and with the Bucks and previews what's on schedule for that day. I do have another one. <laughs> Uh, Buck Tales, which is supposed to be a weekly podcast, but with the schedule we've had the last couple of weeks, I've still yet to get that one going. So I'm targeting hopefully December or January that that'll become a weekly interview podcast. But uh, the season doesn't start till Christmas. We all know that. Well, that's that's you know ordinarily I'd say that's true, but this is as I said, uh, it has been a very good start to the season. Where you know I mean you've you've you obviously do basketball with Green Bay. Um, and you've followed the NBA as well. It's just, you know, a lot of the conversations we've had, I don't know what the equivalent would be in baseball, but the biggest pain points of fouls and uh, the game slowing down, it's all been eliminated. The yeah. only, literally only issue that has to be corrected now, and I'm, I'm confident it will next year, is the take foul and teams just fouling on fast breaks to prevent Giannis and other guys from dunking that once that gets eliminated, which I would bet it's gone next year, uh, I mean, everything you loved about the game in the 90s and not early 2000s when it was 70 to you know 65 final scores and teams were just beating each other up, but everything you loved about you know the Michael Jordan heyday, that's basically the game we're getting now, that it's still great individual offense and talent, but defense actually matters now, and I think that's made the regular season fun again. The easy fix on that is free throws and possession. Yeah. 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 That that can be fixed easily. All right, Justin, thanks so much for your time. We'll do this again and it'll be not as long of a wait as it was for this one. <laughs> All right. I look forward to it.
Justin Garcia joining us here on Brewers X Turnings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Once again, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at TMJ Garcia and listen to him on the Bucks Radio Network and also on WTMJ 94.5 ESPN following Bucks games as well. Uh, that's just about going to do it for me. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. This is our final podcast before uh, Thanksgiving. Just make sure to uh, enjoy yourself and hopefully you're able to uh, be around uh, friends and family. I'll tell you, I I am actually recording this podcast on Sunday night, and it's a little bit later than I normally am. Uh, Tonight was the night uh, that uh, we just had the the horrible, the tragedy in Waukesha with the the Waukesha Holiday Parade. And I've just kind of been numb as I've been evaluating that. A couple times tonight, I just kind of went into uh, into my daughter's room and just looked at her, you know, She's uh, just a personal kind of story on this. She is she's only two. Uh, she is in dance class, and her dance team or her dance class, dance school, were walking in that parade. Her mother and I made the decision uh, because at the time of the decision making, we thought it might be kind of cold. We decided at two years old, probably a little soon to be doing uh, the parade walk. But we certainly talked about it. And we thought about it. Oh man! And, and then this happens, and it just huh, it's close to home. So. Um, just are you know it you say it and it, it just kind of unfortunately we see incidents happen so often in our country you say thoughts and prayers and it doesn't really hold the oomph that it should hold because we say it so often but thoughts and prayers to uh, to everybody involved uh, with what happened in Waukesha and uh, I've just been I've been numb thinking about it trying not to uh read too much of the coverage just feeling so sorry for the people involved so i don't know kind of uh going off the the tracks a little bit here at the end of the podcast but uh, with thanksgiving coming up that was the point that i was trying to get to with thanksgiving coming up just uh, a, a a reminder on sunday to be with family enjoy family love family love friends love loved ones even if you don't have family you've friends and loved ones and just whoever, whatever your community happens to be hopefully you are able to be in that community this week if that makes any sense it's a little bit of a different way to wrap up this podcast than we normally do but uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of brewers extra Innings, the podcast powered by wtmj thanks for listening to brewers extra innings the podcast matt will be back next week with another episode For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.